the Bible. Are you intimidated at the thought of reading such a complicated book? Do you find it daunting or delightful or both? Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. The Bible book club, where we read every word of this great book and then study it together. This is season two of the Bible book club. And our next book, Exodus, this is book two in the biggest thriller ever written, the Bible. So if you have been with us since the beginning, season one, we walked through Genesis. You learned how God had a plan to save the world through this one family. So we're excited that you are continuing the journey with us through this book. Now, if you are just joining the Bible Book Club for the first time this season, there are some things that we would like for you to know about the Bible Book Club. So we chose a book club because the Bible is the number one selling book of all time. It has to be read and it needs to be discussed. Who has time for (laughs) that? How many times have you done a book club and then gone and sat in the corner and hoped nobody really noticed that you weren't joining in on a discussion (laughs) because you didn't didn't actually read the book? Um, I, I have some friends who were in a book club and if I would ask them, oh, oh, what books do you read? I want some recommendations. And they're like, we really just kind of get together and talk and totally. to have girl time because yeah. none of us ever read the books. Well, you can rest easy today because all you have to do is listen on the Bible Book Club. Listen while you drive. Listen while you work out. Listen while you fold laundry. We will read every word for you and then we'll discuss it and tell you what it means. So at the end of the book, you can check it off your list. You've read it. At the end of a season of Bible Book Club, you have read a whole entire book. Yeah, you've heard every word and you know, hopefully you understand what it means. <laughs> All right. And the other thing for you to know, if you're new here, we have these things that we call Bible benders. What is a Bible bender? The Bible is really one of those books that teaches you something new every time you read it. So for us, it's kind of like that Oprah aha moment. Mm-hmm. It's like, what's the aha moment that makes us go, ah, that's what it meant. Sometimes we kind of trip over information and we find that to be a Bible bender. These are things that make you realize that this book is God's plan. It was divinely directed, divinely written. And that is why this is the greatest book ever written and the only one that will truly change your life. And we love it. We love it. So today we start a new book in the greater book, the Bible. And there are different types of literature in the Bible, and they're kind of all woven together throughout the books. Exodus is first and foremost a narrative, which is the telling of a story about people. And it is a continuation of the narrative that we heard in Genesis. Now, there's also some law in Exodus, but I want you to see this as one big long story. And so let me just recap really quick where we were in the story when we start Exodus, because we're only one, we're only, this is the second book, we're only Mm -hmm. one into the Bible, but we did cover a lot in Genesis and it was very foundational and very important to understand where we're going here. So here's a little quick Genesis recap. This is the story of first and foremost creation. God created the world and it was perfect. And then we had the fall and God created man and we rebelled against God and the world became destructive. Then we kind of heard the plan. God revealed his plan to restore the world through someone from the family of Abraham. So he gives this promise and he says, the world is destructive now, 
but someone somewhere in the future is going to kind of restore it. And and the promise was, the final thing was the promise, was that Abraham's family would become a great nation and a blessing to the world because this one savior was going to come from them. So that's kind of where we were when we left Abraham's family in Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the first three generations of God's chosen family had died. Jacob's 12 sons and their tribes, because they each become the 12 tribes of Israel, were living in Egypt to avoid the famine that was throughout the land. They were living there under the protection of their brother, Joseph, who was Pharaoh's top advisor. When Genesis closes, Joseph dies with these words of encouragement to his brothers. Genesis 50, verse 24. I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. With those words, he's reiterating the promise that was made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they would become a great nation and that he would give them the promised land in Canaan. And then there was silence in the Bible for over 400 years before we pick up in story of Exodus. So where is Exodus in the Bible? I covered some of this in our Genesis overview, but I want to reiterate it here because we're still in the first five books of the Bible. I just gave you a hint about where it is. Exodus is the second book following Genesis, but Exodus is also in the Torah or sometimes called the Pentateuch, also called the book of law or Moses's book of law. These are all names for the first five books of the Bible. The Jews called it the Torah or the book of law and the early Christians called it the Greek name, the Pentateuch. All five were written by Moses. And that's why they're really a narrative of a story because he's telling it. Genesis would have had to be written by visions given either to Adam or Abraham and passed down to Moses or given directly in visions to Moses because he didn't live through Genesis. His story actually picks up in Exodus 1. As we work our way through the whole Bible, visions are not going to be uncommon, so don't think it's weird. They happen regularly in the Old and the New Testament. Now, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy were written from Moses' personal experience with a few details added by others, such as the recording of Moses' death, which of course he could not have written himself. And isn't, aren't these also the books that they would stand up and read in the middle of the courtyard? All the time. Yeah, they would All stand the up and read it so they made sure everybody knew it. As a matter of fact, you are so good because I'm going to get to that later. We're going to have a reading from one of those from one of my favorite people, Nehemiah. I can't wait. Well, if you're curious about the breakdown of all the books in the Bible, we do have two charts that we covered in the overview of Genesis Bible Book Club series in the season one, a chart of the Tanakh or the Hebrew breakdown of the Old Testament books into three sections, and then a chart of Old Testament books in the Bible, which are divided into five sections, which are the law, the history books, poetry books, major prophets, and minor prophets. The charts, they'll all be in today's show notes, or you can find them also at susanme.com slash podcast. The journey through Genesis was fairly chronological, starting with Adam and ending with the 12 sons or tribes of Israel. We covered a lot of generations of people, but what about Exodus? Isn't that just one man, possibly one of the most um, widely known men, right? <laughs> if people who maybe have never 
read, actually read these books, they probably still know who Moses was. Yeah, we're going to get into Moses in a minute, but that's a great question because you're right. In 50 chapters of Genesis, we covered all the generations from Adam to Jacob's sons, which is 24 generations in total. Then we have those 400 years of silence. When we begin in Exodus, time is really going to slow down and we are going to get into a lot more detail in the remaining four books of the book of law or the Torah, which are Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All four are the story of one man, Moses, and his journey to lead God's people. They are chronological, and I didn't always realize that. A lot of the books in the Bible are not chronological, but from Genesis, we will march through Exodus, through Leviticus, through Numbers, through Deuteronomy with Moses, and then we will continue the story of the Israelites with the book of Joshua. So we are going chronologically right now. Because the movies of Moses, and I'm thinking about the Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments, or even that children's version, The Prince of Egypt, we tend to think that Moses's story is just about the plagues and then a, a trip across the Red Sea where he parts the sea, when really Moses must be the only Bible hero to get four books. And I don't even know how many chapters that is. A hundred and thirty six chapters, all Moses, which should tell us a lot right there. What we are going to learn must be critical because God does not waste time. If what we were about to read and discuss were not important, it would not be in the Bible in such detail. And I'm going to confess right now, I could be the first one to skip like a Leviticus or Mm -hmm. a Numbers or whatever. But studying this is really showing me how important these next four books are. And I learned a ton. Why? Because it shows us why we needed Jesus, right? It does, but it, but it really helps you understand what God was trying to do with these people and why it was why Jesus was such an amazing replacement of everything they were having to do, why we need a savior and why relationship with God is so important and how God was really, you know, working as hard as they were to make that possible. Like he really wanted that relationship and sought them and laid things out so that they could have it. We, he just knows we cannot keep it. So this might be a really dumb question, but then why didn't he just do Jesus in the first place? Why did he make them go through all of this law and rules and everything? I think it was a part of his plan because after the fall, we needed to see that we we needed a savior. And that was a choice that we made. All right. How are these four books? And again, I'm talking to about not Genesis, but the remaining four of the Torah. How do they relate um, to time and to geography or place, time and place? To get the timeline and the story straight, I have created a chart in the show notes that aligns the four books, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, with the Israelites' travels from Egypt, eventually to Moab, with the time period that they traveled. Because I'll tell you, I did not have this straight in my head. In the chart, you can see that the 40 years of travel starts in Exodus 19, around 1446 BC, and ends in Deuteronomy around 1406 BC. So there's the 40 years right there. The majority of that 40 years of wandering actually occurs in the book of Numbers. In my head, again, because of the movies, Mm -hmm. I thought it was Exodus. It's not. The Israelites will start in Exodus with a two-month journey out of Egypt and then camp at Mount Sinai. They will camp at Mount Sinai for 11 months through the book of Leviticus. Then for 38 years and four months, they will wander through the desert in the book of Numbers 
until they hit the plains of Moab, where they will spend seven months in the book of Deuteronomy. That was a Bible bender for me. Yeah, because if you lay them side by side, it actually all makes sense. But right. they probably really need to go look at that chart because it's hard to just follow if you know, if you don't see it. It's hard. And we think the whole story of the wandering happens in Exodus. It does not. It happens much later. And each book has a reason. But check that out. I tell out. you, my mind can wander sometimes in the middle of Leviticus. <laughs> no, we are going to make it clear. No more. You are going to know this by the end. Another thing I want to point out is that each book covers a different part in Moses's journey to lead the Israelites to the land promised to Abraham. Remember, the whole goal of leaving Egypt is to get back to the promised land. So in Exodus, here's what we will cover. The first half of Exodus tells the story of Israel being rescued from slavery. That's like 119, he's going to get them out of Egypt. In the second half of Exodus, God makes a covenant with Israel and gives them the 10 commandments. That's while they're camped at Mount Sinai. Leviticus outlines for the Israelites how they can live in relationship with God and in the presence of his holiness. Think of the tent, the tabernacle. Okay, people, we have a covenant now. This is how we're going to do things. This is how we're going to have a relationship. So all that's laid out in Leviticus. Then they move on and in number. So Leviticus is still camped at Mount Sinai. They move on in numbers. And this is the story of Israel's wandering from Mount Sinai through the desert to the land that God promised to Abraham. And they wander for 38 years until an entire generation of Israelites die because of a mistake they made that we're going to cover. And because they're very negative. They're just so complaining. Well, they were whiners, whiny but and... they're still going to win here. But it's because they made a major mistake and they're going to pay for it because God says to them, because you have done this, you will not enter the promised land. So they all have to die for, during that 38 years. The last book we're going to cover in the Torah is, that, is Deuteronomy. They reach the plains of Moab. And this is where Moses gives his last words to this new generation of Israelites, explaining the law and challenging them to be different than their fathers, to be faithful, to be obedient. So it's kind of a reiterating of the law. All right. Now, so now we kind of have this overview of those first five books of the Bible, the Torah, why they're so important, why they're so important to the Jews and why they should be so important to us. And the Jews really know these four, these five books super well. I I feel as a Christian, I didn't know them Mm -hmm. that well and need to know them better. I think a lot of us would say that Mm -hmm. because you just, you don't read the Old Testament. You just don't. You learn it in Sunday school maybe, but you didn't read it. And you know the songs about Moses and you know the songs about Noah, who we covered in Genesis. (laughs) Or if you even know the 12 tribes, but you really just don't know it. Right, right. All right, let's dig into a little bit more about the book of Exodus. The word Exodus comes from the Greek word for departure. That's pretty clear. Highlighting the Israelites' departure from slavery. However, in the Torah to the Jews, the book of Exodus is called the book of Shemot or the book of names. Shemot means names. Because the book begins with these words, these are the names of the sons of Israel who went into Egypt. The title of Shemot highlights the genealogy and emphasizes the importance of who came out of slavery, which if you listen to Heather's explanation about the importance of genealogy to the Jews, it's pretty clear because we know that this is what they care about. Why, Heather, you explained it last time. Well, I mean, it is the utmost importance to them because they're waiting for a savior. They're expecting this king to come from the line of Judah. They all know it. They've listened for years for this book being read and they're expecting it to so happen. So they have to trace it to the house of Judah. They're yeah, it's tracking. important that, that 
they won't believe that that's the Messiah unless they know it came from that house. Exactly. That's what they've been told. Exactly. All right. The structure of Exodus, I have broken into two parts. Chapter 1 through 18 is going to be the detailing of the Exodus from Egypt. We're going to cover the plagues and all that kind of stuff. Chapters 19 to 40 is the covenant that God makes with them at Mount Sinai. Now, the theme for Exodus, and there are so many different directions you could have taken this, but the one that I have landed on is it's really the story of God's faithfulness to rescue and care for his people. When you talk about a theme for these four books together, which we're going to talk about that a lot because they really do go together, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they that those four together really tell the story of how a holy God can be reconciled to a rebellious people. And this is a part of his plan. At the fall, we became rebellious and we still are. And yet he wants to be reconciled with us. And eventually he's going to do that once and for all through Jesus Christ. If I had to write a sentence summary for what this book is about, this is what I've landed with. Exodus is a story of how God delivered the Israelites from Egyptian oppression. He created a covenant relationship with them at Mount Sinai, and then he dwelt among them in the tabernacle. That's kind of, we'll go over that a couple more times as we journey through Exodus. We had a, a kind of sentence for ex, for Genesis 2. I hope that you can kind of remember that. This is what Exodus is about because we'll go into other things as we move into other books. All right, now let's talk about the man, the star the of man, the show. The myth, the legend. Exactly. That's Moses. what I thought about. I really, <laughs> I watched the new spy, uh, the new, um, what do you call it? Uh, James Bond movie. I watched the new James Bond movie this weekend and I kind of started envisioning Moses, Moses as him because he, he is perhaps the greatest hero, star, protagonist, leading man of the Old Testament. And I know I raved about Joseph. We are all in love with Joseph because certainly Joseph Joseph is the most likable and Christ-like of the OT greats, Old Testament greats. But we have to give Moses credit as the greatest of the great. If you consider the following details, there are 718 mentions in the Bible of Moses from Exodus to Revelation. He is mentioned in 39 out of 66 books in the Bible. He wrote at least 80,000 more words more than any other Bible author. He performed more miracles than any other OT hero, and his faith was undaunted. Just go with me here and think about this. Imagine you are at a concert or a football game with a hundred thousand people. There are only eight stadiums in the country big enough for a hundred thousand people. So this is a big stadium. So just imagine you are there. When the game or concert is over, what happens? You go to the closest marked exit, which leads to a ramp and everyone funnels into the ramp until they reach the bottom where they disperse to color-coded numbered lots, parking lots to find their car. Then they funnel out different exits where people direct traffic onto streets, organize into grids with traffic lights at every corner to get you home in an orderly fashion. Yes, very organized. Now imagine 10 times that number of people trying to make an exit. And they don't just have a fanny pack or a backpack. They have all their stuff. A million people left Egypt at one time with no order. Moses led a million Israelites out of slavery without provisions, a way of communication, without a means of transportation, without a map of where they were going, without a paved path 
or highway to get there without a policeman department to direct stragglers or traffic or, I don't know, rebellious donkeys. I don't know what they had. He didn't even have a megaphone, no whistle, maybe a horn. Occasionally they talk about blowing this horn. I think he had a horn. My brain gets tired just trying to imagine the endless problems that presented from moving a million people without cell phones to, you know, drop a pin. I just don't know how he did it. Moses had so much faith and it must have made him fearless and certainly kept him from going crazy because I don't, I mean, I have a mapping brain. I love to map and I manage four departments at work and I love to do things like that, but I couldn't have mapped this. There's no way. I had, you have no tools. Now, the man lived to be 120. I would have had heart failure in the first month, but he, he was fearless and he handled it. And I think that was his faith. And, and that is why to me, he is the greatest of the great. I think maybe like 007, he just never met a situation that he didn't think he could handle. Moses, Moses of Levi. I know. Like <laughs> so, Bond, James exactly, Bond. James Bond. Or he had some tricks that we don't know about today um, that they had then. <laughs> now he was from the tribe of Levi, as you just said, another thing to point out. So sadly, while he is mentioned 700 times in the Bible, he's not listed in the genealogy of Christ because we know Christ did not come from the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi will become the tribe of priests. The last words of the Torah, like I said, the last book in the Torah is Deuteronomy. We're going to get to that, are a tribute to Moses. And I want to read them here just so you can appreciate the kind of man that he is. Deuteronomy 34.10. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt to Pharaoh and all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. He is quoted a lot throughout the Bible. And one of the reasons for that is because he did do this mighty work for the Israelites and he he led them through it despite their rebellion and they were a hot mess and we're going to see that. So because of this, the story of Moses and the Israelites is the ultimate wilderness story. What is a wilderness story, you might ask, and how does it apply today? And it is something you may hear in Christian circles. I don't know if you have or not, but the story of Moses and the Israelites wandering in the desert is retold by the prophets in Psalms and in the New Testament as an example and reminder that we, like the Israelites, will have seasons where we feel as if we are wandering through a desert. But just as God was faithful to care for the Israelites, he is faithfully, patiently caring for us like a shepherd over his sheep. And we're going to see him do that for this for them. Our wilderness may be a time of rebellion like the Israelites, suffering, struggles, or confusion. A wilderness season is not an easy time to get through. And it, it wasn't for them and it's not for us. It can be a place of separation where you feel like you're just separated from God. It can be a place of preparation where God is teaching you hard lessons to prepare you for something in the future. It can be a place of revelation where you're just literally learning things that you never learned before. It was all of those things for the Israelites. They needed a time of separation to be with God and learn his plan for them. They needed a time of preparation to become a nation ready to fight for the land God had promised them. They needed a time of revelation to comprehend the power 
power as they, as they watched in part the Red Sea of what God had done and to believe the possibilities for what was to come. This is why so many of the OT prophets recount this story. Like you said, they read it out loud. They have people read it out loud. And we're going to do that in a minute where you recount the story and remember how great and good and awesome is our God. During those times, we have to remember that God was faithful to the Israelites despite their repetitive rebellion. So if you enter a season where you feel like you're wandering in the desert, all you have to do is think back to the story and say, you know what? God was faithful to them and they were terrible. They were disobedient, Mm -hmm. disrespectful, you know, whiny, whiny, complaining. And God still cared for them, still gave them manna, still brought them out of it. And he will do that for you in the same way he will be faithful to us if we turn to him. Understanding God's character and faithfulness to the Israelites should encourage you. And it's worth patiently studying these four books. Nehemiah, another one of my favorites. I know I always say that, but truly it's all over the passionate mom book that I wrote. He is my model, my role model for who and how I want to be. He uses Moses's wilderness story best to me when he recaps it to the Israelites after another great wilderness time in Israel's history, their time in captivity in Babylon. Remember, we're going to get to a point where they're so rebellious. God allows them to be taken into captivity. And then after a period of suffering and wandering in captivity, kind of a, a it's a wilderness moment for them. He, in Nehemiah 9, he, he, they've started coming back to Judah. They've rebuilt the temple. And it's Nehemiah's job to rebuild the wall around Judah um, to protect them and the temple. All right. So just so that nobody is confused, we're talking about Exodus. However, what Susan is talking to you about is far in the future, future. long after Exodus. Right. She's explaining to you what is going to happen even after Moses. Right. Then they go into captivity again, regardless of being brought out by Moses. And now Nehemiah comes. Right. So Nehemiah comes back to rebuild the wall. They're returning to Jerusalem, just like they've been told to do out of captivity. And Nehemiah is going to increase their faith and challenge them to complete the task of building ahead of them. And he's going to remind them in order to encourage them of what God did for them in the past. And by doing so, he kind of summarizes everything we're about to learn in Exodus. Nehemiah 9, starting in verse 13. You, God, came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven. And in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn an uplifted hand to give them. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is our God who brought you up out of Egypt. Or when they committed awful blasphemies, 
Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. Leave it to Nehemiah to take four books out of the Torah and summarize them in three paragraphs. And that's just what he did. He talked about what God did to build a relationship with them, how God came down and gave them laws and decrees and the Ten Commandments. And then what Israel did, that they didn't obey his commands and they rebelled. But then what God did, even despite their rebellion, he showed compassion and did not abandon them in the wilderness, but had them wander around while he sustained them till they had learned their lesson. And then he brought them into the promised land. And what Nehemiah is saying to these poor, ragged people who have been slaves in Babylon forever is he can do it for us. He has brought you back to Jerusalem. We're going to rebuild this wall. We're weak. We're tired. We have, we have oppression all around us. We're going to do this because this is what God has promised us, that we would have this temple and that he would relate to us through this temple and that the promised seed would come from us. And so he says that to us, even in the new covenant of Jesus Christ, he says, you have forgiveness. Come back. I, I'm 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 here for you and I have so much more for you. So you may not be in a wilderness season right now, but sometime in your life you most likely will be. And at that time, it is my prayer that you will remember Moses and all we have discussed in the next four books, and that the knowledge you've gained from this story will give you the courage and the patience to persevere until you too reach the promised land that God has planned for you. God keeps his promises. Well, we did say that we are going to read every word. And while we did not read much from Exodus this week, in fact, not at all, keep listening because we read from Nehemiah this week because of that summary. But next episode, we will be digging into the second book of the series of the greatest book ever written, the Bible, Exodus. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.